Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me today is Zachariah King, all the way from across town to talk about <laughs> biblical hermeneutics. Zach, how are you doing? Yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. It's a beautiful day out there. Oh, I, I, I got some sun. Can you tell? I can, can you tell. see that I got a little sunburn? I can sunburn? tell that. Uh, wash, too. Uh-huh. was out there a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a good post- podcasting to ask you right now about your new garden out there, or do we oh, sure. do we skip yeah, that? Yeah. Do we wait? <clears throat> do we? No, that's fine. So what we did was I built the foundation, the footer that I'm going to use to stack cinder blocks on to build a raised bed for my wife. Oh, wow. And it's going to be the most massive raised bed you've ever seen. Well, it's pretty extensive already. It is. It was a lot of work. So my goal with her raised beds is to be the envy of every woman that sees it. Mm. That's my goal. That was the goal with my deck on my house, to be the envy (laughs) of every man that steps foot on it, to be like, wow, I wish I had a deck like this. It's a really nice deck. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And it's just just big. It's not not like we used Trex and and did an expensive job. Right, right, right. It's just square footage. And it's covered, so it's in the shade. And we love that thing. Right, right. That's good. So we poured the concrete. We're saving up some money. Um, we're filling, you know, the spaces with dirt. We already got seeds out there. We got some stuff sprouting and then we're going to save up some money to stack the cinder blocks. Is this the weirdest place in the world or what? I mean, I've been some weird places and Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are others, but I was sitting in my house yesterday afternoon wondering if it was going to snow. I mean, it was snowing a couple days ago. Yeah. And we had the heat on when we woke up in the morning in the house and in the car. And then today, how warm did it get? It my, had my to be mid-50s, right? My car said it was the sev- in 70 on wow. the way over here. Yeah. I mean, my whole family is sunburned. We, <laughs> we were all out at the park playing pickleball. Yes, And, yes, you know, yes. we got some sun. Yeah. it's. You, you see your mom today? Yeah, yeah. She oh, was good, out there good. with us. Yep. So... Zach, we are doing a retake of biblical hermeneutics. Yeah, we are. Because I messed up on the audio and nothing got, well, stuff got recorded, but it was like echoey and double talk over each other. And it was, it was just a recording nightmare and it was all my fault. Tonight, we are going over what we talked about back on December 11th. So if you look up that video, it's not going to be there because we deleted it because it was a train wreck. And tonight we're going to go over, as I said, biblical hermeneutics. Did you or did I want to get into this? I think we both did. We we agreed some of the some of these topics that you send me. I'm like, oh, Patrick, this mm-hmm. this looks like a Patrick by himself for an hour and a half kind of video. <laughs> but um, no, this one I think is, I think it's interesting. I think it's super practical and helpful. I think it's super net. necessary yes, super necessary and i thought you suggested it i may have i don't remember but i remember looking it up and i was like you know what that would be great because so many christians are always saying i'm intimidated to pick up and read the bible i don't know what to read i don't know what where to start i don't know how to do it 
And let me just get it out of the way. That's a lame excuse. We live in the age of YouTube. You can you can figure out. How, I mean, give Stuff's me a break. Everywhere. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But, but, that, but it, it with is, that, yeah, if you don't know anything that's going on in I there. I get it. It is a big book. It can be intimidating. So this is us talking about hermeneutics, the art or science of interpretation. When we read the Bible, how do we know what the Bible says means there are oftentimes parts of the Bible that are more difficult. To give you an example, my church, we just finished up the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is an easy book to go through. Anybody can go through it at any time. You might not understand the history. Sure. You might not know what the city of Nineveh is all about. But you can read through the book, and at the end of the book, you can say, I get it. Right, right. Now we're going through the book of Amos, and it is nothing like the book of Jonah. You really have to know a lot about the time period, some history, some of the manners and customs of the people involved in the story. Otherwise, you really get lost because... It's a book about prophecy. It's a book where Amos is writing. In the first chapter and a half, he brings up eight different groups. Yeah. If yeah. you don't know who they are, you don't know the history of them, it can really be a book where you're a couple chapters in and you say to yourself, this has been a total waste of time. Right. I don't feel right. like I learned anything. <clears throat> I'm definitely not any closer to God than when I started. So what we want to talk about tonight is hermeneutics, the art of interpretation. Anything you want to jump in with before I define some terms and get no, going down I, the road? I thought of something I do want to say, but but there's a spot later on that where would, it'll fit better. That's fine. So, yeah. Yeah. What I want to start with is just this kind of introductory statement. <clears throat> and forgive me, I have a frog in my throat, so I'm coughing a little bit. I try to hit the mute button on my microphone, but I cough so loud, your microphone <laughs> is probably picking it up. So... Bear with me, everybody. I have a large glass of juice. We're working on it. I'm going to keep drinking, and hopefully that'll help. So in the history of biblical interpretation, there are many types of hermeneutics. I think the two most popular are going to be the literal and the allegorical. And I think there are many others that we could talk about, but I don't think in a one-hour podcast we're going to yeah. have time to get into all the different schools of thought yeah and all the different nuances and whatever else yeah mm -hmm. totally agreed so i wanted to start with the literal interpretation this is by far the interpretation that i feel the most comfortable with the literal interpretation asserts that a biblical text is to be interpreted according to the plain meaning conveyed by the text and historical context. The literal meaning is held to correspond to the intention of the authors. This type of hermeneutics is often but not necessarily associated with the belief in the verbal inspiration of the Bible, according to which the individual words of the divine message were divinely chosen. It means that what God wrote was on purpose. Yeah, right. Extreme forms of this view are criticized on the ground that they do not account adequately for the evident individuality 
and style and vocabulary found in the various biblical authors. Do you have a problem with that? As far as the definition goes? Or the last point, a lot of people who will argue against us silly, fun, funny dementalists, <laughs> they will... I've heard that one before. Yeah, I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah. They will say that one of their criticisms is that the authors, when you read the four Gospels, it is obvious that four different men wrote these gospels sure and you can pick up what i would call a flavor from each individual author that is different from the other ones and i don't think any christian that reads the bible would argue with that you wouldn't think so but so people will use that as evidence to say that you cannot take the bible literally because you clearly see that these men had mm. their flavor in it as an author of the different gospels and therefore it's not exactly what god wants it's yeah. just a basic idea a basic message a basic principle and the authors had some leeway when writing it as a, as opposed to specifically chosen words for every single one that's written down and I've never had, I've never heard that particular argument. Mm-hmm. I've heard one that's sort of adjacent to it, which does have to do with nuance. But it's the amount of different writings, writing styles, that appear in the text. So there's hyperbole. Absolutely. There's sarcasm. Yeah, there's sarcasm. There there's, are metaphors. There's poetry. There's, and so the, the the biggest criticism I've heard is how is it that you discern for each particular text mm-hmm. what part of writing and, you're looking at? And that's a good one that we're going to touch on because we'll, we'll see if we get into it. Let me yeah, yeah, let yeah. me try to stick to this. Personally, I do not see a problem with God allowing the individual style of the author to come out through what God had them write. I don't see that that's an evidence that God did not get what he wanted in the Bible. I believe God got exactly what he wanted in the Bible. Otherwise, we're all in trouble because then we're all left bickering over what should really be in there as opposed to we don't have a foundation if we don't take the literal interpretation And keep in mind, the literal interpretation does not mean that you cannot look at a simile or a metaphor or an allegory. When Jesus wanted to use an allegory, I literally believe it was an allegory. The literal interpretation does not mean that everything is hyper-literal And I've run into some folks that do that, and they clearly misuse the Bible to try to make a point, oftentimes an obscure one. And I'll say, you're taking a pretty hyper-literal view of the Bible, where it doesn't allow for any of these writing styles. And they'll say, well, aren't we supposed to do this? And I say, okay, so you believe God has feathers? Sure. Or when, when John says, Jesus did so many things that if I suppose if you were to write them all down, mm-hmm. the world would not even hold the books yeah. that it would take to write them. Sure. That's yeah. not a figure of speech. <laughs> yeah, like John how- <laughs> literally meant 
that, that the world couldn't hold there's those not books. enough yeah you know and the same idea when god says that he's going to gather israel back onto him like a hen gather you know under his wings under his like wing. a hen gathers her chicks I don't believe that God has feathers. I believe that God is painting a picture yeah. to make a point. And yeah. we all do that. Sure. So I don't think the literal interpretation needs to be hyper-literal. And I don't believe it needs to exclude any forms of literary styles. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I'm with you there then. The second type of biblical hermeneutics is the allegorical interpretation this interprets the bible narratives as having a level of reference beyond those persons things and events explicitly mentioned in the text a particular form of allegorical interpretation is the typological according to which the key figures main events the principal institutions of the hebrew uh, Old Testament are seen as types of foreshadowings of persons, events, and objects in the New Testament. According to this theory, the interpretations, such as that of Noah's Ark as a type of the Christian church, have been intended by God from the beginning. I don't have a problem with an allegorical interpretation when the author meant what he wrote to be allegorical. Sure, sure. The danger with allegorical interpretation is when it is used as the primary form of interpretation, there is nothing wrong with seeing Joshua as a type of Christ. Sure. And Noah's Ark as a picture of salvation. Of course. The danger comes quickly when you dismiss Joshua as a historical figure altogether and assume he is just part of the story to help explain a point. So people who adopt allegorical interpretations of the Bible quickly dismiss difficult passages such as creation and the worldwide flood. Mm -hmm. They are mm -hmm. not literal. That's what the allegorical interpretation proponent might say. It is also common for them to dismiss great portions of or all a futuristic prophecy. Because I, I don't know what framework you'd be able to use to, um, <clears throat> so yeah, same spot. So now we've, we've put up some guardrails where the hyper literalism could be a problem. Hyper allegoricalism could be a problem, but like, uh, you last week we went through Passover mm -hmm. and you and I both believe that there was a, a real event there was that happened a, in history. There was a real Pharaoh, a real Moses and lots of real lambs. Yep. And Israel really left Egypt. Yep. And there were plagues. And Absolutely. they really went through the sea. Yep. The whole the, thing. The whole thing. But th that was also a type or a picture Absolutely. of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Clearly. Clearly. There's no problem with both. Right. Right. When you, when you stick to one camp or the other, I think is where you have a problem. When you, when you play the extremes on any spectrum yeah. is where you're usually going to get yourself in trouble personally if you had to say today in america the problem with people interpreting their bible is that far too many people are where do you think oh, gosh. everyone lands because i hate to tell you i don't think it's the literal interpretation well i even worse I, there's a part of me that I wonder if there's a lot of people that are just in the first group 
mm-hmm. to just go. I don't even know what those guys are talking. We're only twelve minutes in. I don't know what these guys are talking about. <laughs> like, I'll just not do it at all. Just, like there's just nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I do think there are a couple of different classes. Um, the higher ed- the the scholars that the higher education, it seems to me to be leaning. And I don't read. I'm no scholar. Mm-hmm. I read stuff, but I don't. Um, I don't read a bunch, but Hey, what do you think it takes to be considered a Bible scholar? I don't even know, but I'm not one of them. Would you just need like three or more people to call you one? (laughs) I mean, you're you're thinking about asking some guys to call you one. It's not like there's a certificate that anyone hands out, but there are guys that I would say that is a Bible scholar. Sure. Because I think a lot of people are thinking about it as a profession. Mm hmm producing documents writing books writing articles sure that sort of thing doing um a professional level of research yeah okay yeah um but i mean i i've run into all of these and like you said there's a couple of different types i i don't know i don't know about dividing everything into into different groups i'll tell you as a pastor Mm -hmm. i'll tell you what i get the most Mm -hmm. Assistant pastor. The, yeah, associate. Forty percent of a real pastor. Three fifths. Uh, three. Three. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Don't worry. None of my listeners are smart enough to I'm understand saying, that racist if reference. Anybody got that joke? Oh, great. Yeah. If you weren't already done, you'd be done now. Um. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. The what I get the question I get the most mm-hmm. is here's what I read and I don't know what to make of this. Sure. So whatever hermeneutic people are already using naturally, when that works on a passage, then away you go. It could be allegorical and that's the that's the natural framework that they use. And they read a book, they read Job, and they go, Oh, that, that's a great story that somebody wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else could be literal and they read Job and they go, oh, what must it have been to have been that guy? Yeah. But then the question I'll get is like, you know, what do you make of his friends? Or why, mm-hmm. why do you think, why do you think uh, Satan was in heaven? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that work out? Mm-hmm. Because whatever framework they're using isn't answering all the questions. Sure. So then you then you got to play a little bit and figure out where they're coming from and how mm-hmm. they're understanding the rest of it. Yeah. Um, let but, me let me yeah. jump in and I'm going to give everyone the best interpretive rule that I've ever been taught, and that came from a famous fellow that I'm going to misquote right now. I thought it was. I don't, I'm going to let everyone else look up who it was. <laughs> <Okay>. <clears throat> That's what I'm going to do. They said, I don't worry about the parts of the Bible that I don't understand. I worry about the parts of the Bible that I do understand. <laughs> that is one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given because it's a big book. Your first time through, there's lots of stuff you're not going to understand. Don't worry about it. Definitely don't get bogged down in it. <clears throat> Just go through and worry about the parts where God is clearly speaking to you about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when God is putting some pressure on you, when you read a part and it makes you uncomfortable, you know it, that is the Holy spirit of God putting pressure on you to get you to make a change in your life somehow. That's the only part of the Bible that matters today. Yeah, at that moment, for sure. There are lots of other parts that you're going to learn about later on. It's going to make more sense later on. I I tell fellas about a part that I read in the book of Judges, and I was like, man, this doesn't doesn't make sense. This seems to really go against the way God was doing everything. It seems out of character for him. God, I just don't get this. Could you please explain this to me? And I tell everyone, you should always jot these things down and go to God in prayer over them. It do, you don't have to fast and pray for days on it, but mention it that night. God, can you please explain this? Yeah. I yeah. don't know what it means. I asked my two buddies. They didn't know. So could you please, you know, let me know. It took me years. And then God dropped the answer in my lap when I wasn't looking for it. And I said, oh, <laughs> I get it. And it was very helpful at the time. Yes. But I didn't need to know it when I first read it. I needed to learn it later on. Right. I don't know why. It doesn't matter why. God has a timetable. And all of us are not supposed to understand everything in the Bible the first time we go through it. So just read through it, the parts that you do understand. Worry about those. When God puts pressure on you, definitely pay attention to that. And when conviction comes from the Holy Spirit of God, go to God and find out what does God want you to do and then do it. If you just do that, you'll do great. Yes. Yes. I think it's it's, it's really that simple. I cannot tell you how many times for me personally, um, but also in my preaching or teaching, I'll have someone come up to me and they're like, oh, Zach you got how come nobody's ever taught me this Mm -hmm. look at this what i see and i was like i preached that passage (laughs) i said that sentence i got the notes yeah literally two weeks ago (laughs) you were looking right (laughs) at me (laughs) but there was nothing because god it wasn't the time yet yes and so when god speaks to someone and and that happens to me all the time Mm -hmm. i've done it with darren Mm -hmm. like man look i I've never seen this before. And he's like, really? Yeah. That was even like part of the basic classes that I taught you 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, well, maybe I'm a little dense then, Mm -hmm. but there's totally something to that where there's, and I don't think it has to happen daily either. Mm -mm. I know that a lot of people feel pressure um, to, to sort of check a box by being in the scripture daily. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind having a little bit of that pressure, I think on people, but Every single meal you eat is not the best one you've ever had. Absolutely. Yes. The, there's something about doing your duty and being consistent. Yep. And you're not going to feel great. Every time you go play around a golf, it wasn't the best one. There's nothing wrong with just putting in the work and getting through a chapter or two of the Bible mm-hmm. with the kids in the morning and saying, you know what? I really don't know what to bring out of that that's really helpful for you guys right but we learned about jacob and how he you know treated his kids in this situation and we got two chapters of the bible in so guess what we're a success yeah we did it and And, and like you said all of a sudden you get up on some random thursday Mm -hmm. and you're reading a text that you a chapter you've been over a hundred times 
and he just wallops you with something. And man, he's the one that's making those decisions. He's the one that gets to decide when to speak to you. Yes. So part of our job is just to be open and available and listening Mm -hmm. to hear what he actually says. Yeah. A lot of times in my daily Bible reading, I'm just reminded of things that I already knew, but you got to remember what is the, what is the Bible described as, or, or what is the Bible called by Paul, by Jesus? And we, we get the analogy all the way back in the days of Moses, the Bible, as far as the Christian getting into the Bible, what is the Bible called? Gonna, it's I'm, a it's a broad question, yeah, and I know just, you might not. I might I'm just not, not be. Yeah, I'm just not following you on that one. That's all right. You can just tell us. It is called our daily. Bread. Oh yes, absolutely. Our daily bread. You you have to eat every day. Yeah, it, yeah. Every time you eat a meal, it might not be a memorable one. Sometimes it's a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And you're just out the door and you're eating it while you're driving down to work. Forget about it by the end of the day. You just needed some carbohydrates and protein. But to keep. Uh, it's you're maintaining the relationship. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. You keep you keep open to things, and and all of a sudden, when it's time for him to let you know something, bam. It's a lot it harder for God to let you know something when you're never reading the Bible. If those are the places where he's already spoken, <laughs> then you're, yeah, you just got him on mute. Yep. Because he is, there are things that he wants to highlight to you at certain times. And if you're just not reading the Bible at all, then you're in a mess. So I had one for you. God just gave this to me. It's not a complicated thought. And, yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know how to make a quarter of a chapter of a book out of it, let alone, sure, sure. you know, a five-part series to make millions off of. But this is the idea that God just gave me. Would you agree that Christians who obey God are blessed by God? Pretty simple yes. statement. Nothing. I'm not, this is yeah, not, yeah. I'm this, not trying this, to be yeah, tricky. This isn't true and this is yeah. not going to be deep. No, no, no. Where do we find what God wants us to do? In the Bible. In the Bible. So God tells us what to do in the Bible. When we obey what God tells us to do, we are blessed. So guess what, Zach? How are Christians blessed if they're not reading their Bible? They don't know what to do. They have no idea what God wants them to do. And you ready for this? One thing that I know the Bible says is that my thoughts and my ways of doing things yeah. are completely <laughs> different from God's thoughts and the way he would do things. So do you know what that means? That means that Christians won't even be blessed on accident because the way they would naturally handle any situation is totally different from the way that God would handle that situation. So Christians that are not in their Bibles, I dare say it is impossible for them to be blessed. How do you like that? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I didn't know you could do math like that. That's pretty good. I had a verse come to mind. Give it to me. I'm going to see if I can find it. Okay, I'm going to tell people about... Let's see. I think it's impossible to. Oh, this is good radio. Impossible to 
Do you want me to give people a definition? I can just burn 20 seconds while <laughs> yeah, you're looking. Yeah, 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 okay. you do that while I'm looking. So I'm going to give you definitions of two words. Number one is exegesis. Exegesis. You are reading the Bible and trying to learn what it means by reading what is actually there. Eisegesis is when you are reading the Bible and trying to learn what it means by adding your own views into what it says. When we read the Bible with an idea of what we want it to say, we risk bending the Bible to align with our personal beliefs. We want to have a good, strong exegesis. We are simply a blank canvas and we are going to the Bible and trying to find out what the author was trying to say, what God is trying to say. The easiest way to know when you are doing this is because you are going to be uncomfortable from time to time. Sure. Because God's telling you to do things differently than the way you want to do them. Absolutely. You know you are not reading the Bible correctly when everything you read doesn't bother you. So there's going to be a big, and I, I'm not, one of the things I'm worst at overall mm-hmm. is sort of looking into the future and figuring out where things are headed. Everyone on this podcast knows that. We've already talked about the rapture and the end times. You don't have to make that point. Okay, so they all know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, maybe if they're back on their meds, somebody will start to agree with me a little bit. Um, but but this is one of those things. I, I don't have to look out into the future. It's already here. Mm-hmm. The eisegesis around sexual ethics. Oh, yeah. Is going to be one of the primary issues of the church in the next 10 years over the over the, i mean do you think it, 10 i think 10 is kind of a big number well, that's that, i think that's, one or two is well, probably yeah, I mean, safe that, that's to just say. a length of time yeah. where we're gonna have to be fighting with things absolutely but, i mean it is it's getting attacked so hard right now and we're trying to write off vast amounts of scripture just the idea that boys are boys and girls are girls and not it so Writing things off has been going on for a little while. Yeah. But now you get into an eisegesis situation where you go, oh, no, mm-hmm. um, that passage is actually teaching mm-hmm. that transgenderism is no big deal. Yeah. That passage is teaching us mm-hmm. that you can choose whatever you want to do. Yeah. That's that's going to be that that's going to be an interesting phenomenon moving forward. I'll tell you what. The only thing that has kept me in this podcast from being canceled is my complete lack of notoriety and support. (laughs) Because the day that this podcast becomes famous, we're going to be canceled in an afternoon. Oh, yeah. One episode. You had a verse for us. Did but you that, find the verse? Yeah, I did. Did you want to make any more points on no, the I just, well, I mean, sexual I, perversion? You want I, to talk about the queers and the fags? I, the the point the, the, the sodomites was, you want to talk about the sodomites <laughs> the point i was gonna make is that i'm glad i didn't get you so wound up this time there's also bestiality and necrophilia <laughs> okay. we could talk about that there are names for those people the ice monsters zach <laughs> they're monsters okay Jesus is the that's thing that what it's that's about. what it is when a boy turns into a girl 
Dr. Frankenstein cut parts off of people and sewed them together, and it was called a monster. This That's what these transgender <laughs> people are. Is that clear enough for you? Monsters. I, I felt like you were pretty clear earlier on, okay. but God God bless them and save them. Mm-hmm. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Mm-hmm. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if, if you don't have the Bible open to draw near to him and seek him. If you're not seeking... Then you have no faith <laughs> that you can't please him. Mm-hmm. So, um, pray for your enemies and mm-hmm. <laughs> those who persecute you. <laughs> this guy, the, the, that was just in case you hadn't been canceled yet. All right. Do you want to hear Patrick Hayes's personal hermeneutical style? That's next on the list. So, this has six different parts and this is what i think people should adopt and i think it will keep folks from getting stuck in the mud and having problems when they are trying to figure out what the bible means so this is this is what i've come up with and just to be clear i'm not sure that i mean you wrote this document but these are not new ideas that you've cooked up No, no, no. What this is, is simply a list of practical, helpful tips for anyone to be able to go through the Bible and not make some mistakes that many people have made and get off into the middle of nowhere into the weeds. Yeah, yeah, right. Number one, we start with literal. I call this non-interpretive. And I've had people argue with me about that idea. Taking words at face value without metaphor or allegory. I had someone explain to me, I had a pastor tell me, well, Patrick, nobody can really teach the Bible without interpretation. Whenever you teach the Bible, that's your interpretation. said, no, it's really not. A lot of times when you teach the Bible, you're just saying what God said. There doesn't have to be a spin on that. Moses killed the lamb, 14th day of the first month, yeah. put the blood on the doorpost. These are the events that we're going through. I don't see that there's any interpretation with a lot of Bible teaching. So we start with literal. Creation actually happened in six literal days like we now experience. It was a supernatural origin story of God creating everything. Do you have any problem with that? No, the literal interpretation. Yeah, I I don't know where you get anywhere else. I often ask people that get stuck in the first two chapters of Genesis. I say, look, get yourself a 10-year-old. And have them read the passage of scripture that you're struggling with and ask them what it means. (laughs) Nine out of ten times, they're going to point you in the right direction. Hmm. The flood in the days of Noah was a worldwide global catastrophe where all but eight people drowned. The eight survivors were on a boat for a period of about one calendar year. 
that they had made under the direction of God. God brought them two of every land-dwelling, air-breathing animal, seven of some, to live on that boat with them during the flood. I believe those two stories to be literal. I don't have a problem with that. I also believe Jesus walked on water, he raised the dead, and his mama was a virgin when she gave birth to him. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible says, and I just believe it. It's the old, the Bible says it and I believe it, so that settles it kind of idea. With most things, that's all we need to do. We need to believe what the Bible actually said, even if it flies in the face of what we think we know to be true. And this is coming from a kid who went to a lot of public school, went to a state college, was big into science. And when I first got saved, I struggled with the idea that the earth is young, that God created everything in six days, and that dinosaurs were on the ark. How, how long ago was this? So this 20, was when I years. was 23 24 22 something in there mm -hmm. i don't remember how old i was but i can bring you to the room where it happened yeah you know i can explain this the process <clears throat> for me when i started reading the bible i had to ask a lot of people i said well how does this all work and this doesn't make sense to me and unfortunately a lot of people didn't have the answers but one smart fella said patrick i promise if you pray to god he will answer you that's all i know I don't know much about creation and dinosaurs. I yeah, never really yeah. looked into it. Right. He says, it's the first two chapters of the book. I never really cared about it that much. I kept reading and got on, you know, to the yeah. action. So yeah. God, I, God created and I'm good. There you go. Roll and Great. Yeah. God. Yep. Good enough. I prayed. God did bring the answers. It was very helpful. And I found that I had been lied to for many, many years by lots of um, well-meaning people. I believe all of what I just explained without metaphor or allegory, and I think that is where we need to start. And th those are just examples. Those are just examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people avoid the literal face value interpretation because if they believe that, that means that they are living in defiance to God's word and they need to change something. So a lot of people hope that that was just for that time things that are no longer in vogue a patriarchal style of leadership in the church and in the home uh, gender roles how god has different roles for parents and children for husbands and wives for men and women mm -hmm. all of these things are oftentimes written off but they cannot be written off if you use the literal form or style of interpretation because when we just read it and believe it then we're kind of faced with you know what we're faced with we're faced with one continual consistent stream of thought from cover to cover in the bible that's what we're faced with mm. when we read the bible and take it to be literal and that's just step one i mean that that is like the it's where you should start that, that's that's where you're going to start you're just going to read it okay what does this say mm -hmm. not what do i think it says just mm -hmm. what does it say yep and you start there that's where you always want to start okay and there's going to be lots of times where you read something and you go i don't 
I read it and I don't know what it says. I don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah. Which is when you move into step two, which is to use a historical contextual hermeneutic. This hermeneutic uses two questions. What would this have meant to the author? The portion of scripture I just read. Mm -hmm. What would this have meant to the original reader? It was meant for. So Jonah was a message from God to the Assyrians, specifically those living in the city, the capital city of Nineveh. Ezekiel was a message from God to the Jews living in Babylonia, where Ezekiel was, and also a message to the Jews who were still living in Jerusalem before it was completely leveled. Right. Uh, Malachi was written to the Jews after the exile in Babylon. Amos was written to the Jews in the northern kingdom prior to the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom and prior to them being taken away captive by the Assyrians in the northern kingdom. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand a little bit of who wrote it, who they wrote it to, and what they intended the meaning to be. For instance, Paul writes to Gentiles and he explains things very differently than when he writes to Jews. Yes. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to get all kinds of stuff mixed up because you're like, wait a minute, this seems to go completely against what I just read. Well, yeah, he's not talking to Gentiles now. He's talking to Jews. Mm -hmm. And Jews and Gentiles are different people. They were different people back when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob walked the earth. They were different people when Jesus walked the earth, and they're different people now. Yep, yep. And if we don't understand that, then we're going to get messed up. I do think that this is definitely the next step because if you if all you have is step one with the literalism mm-hmm. then that's exactly the problem you get um my um my my poor little wife mm-hmm. she she really likes listening to you huh preach praise god somebody she's the one <laughs> <laughs> she won't be listening tonight that's okay yeah, but no, but scientific mm-hmm. everything is black and white sure They're, so but the what what people would perceive as contradictions mm-hmm. she really struggles with mm-hmm. because it's like well he said this and it's the same guy and now he's saying this and it's clearly different and it's clearly different <laughs> so how does this work yeah how do we reconcile well and more importantly for her is like she wants to do mm-hmm. what she's being asked yeah but then she's being asked two opposite things mm-hmm. so what do you do mm-hmm so the the historical contextual plus i just love the history yeah i I love studying that stuff i I really like looking at it but it it does it i don't think it clouds the issue at all it does add an extra step into the interpretive process the hermeneutical process which is we're going to get to next uh shortly but i do think step one is when you're studying the book of James, mm-hmm. you need to know as much as we can know mm-hmm. about who he is and who he and was who writing he was talking it to. to. And you're reading Paul and Galatians. Mm-hmm. You need to know who he is and who he was writing to and why, what was going on in the background. Sure. And I, I do think that all of that is very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, what if you just... You, you didn't know hardly anything. So you pick up 1 Corinthians and you start reading. And, and you go, 
wait, what? What was going on what? in the church? Oh, yeah. Why isn't everybody arrested? <laughs> or you let's say you pop open Ezekiel mm-hmm. and you just go, God's going to destroy Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And you yeah. turn on the news. Yep. And you're like, oh. They're Boy. fighting on the rock of the the, the, the dome it, of the rock. Here it comes. I, I read this just in time, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so you can get into some re- well-meaning, yeah, trying to do what you can, doing the best you can. You can get into some real trouble real quick. So for the historical contextual hermeneutic to work, you need to understand the background of every story in the Bible. You don't need to understand them all at once. You just need to understand the one that you're going through. You need to understand the manners and the customs of the people they're talking about. Yes. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. The biggest hang up for Christians reading the Bible today is that they have no understanding of Judaism. Oh, the whole thing is Jewish. Yes. I mean, the whole book is. Now, we just mentioned that there are parts of it that are written specifically for Gentiles. There's there's one chapter that was written by a Gentile. Sure. there, Sure. There are clearly... Plenty, plenty of information in there for the Gentiles in the New Testament church. Absolutely. But but you still have to understand, it's a Jewish book. It's a Jewish religion by Jewish authors, almost all of them. Yes. So we need to, we need to understand what we can. Otherwise, certain things that come up, you're like, well, why is that a problem? Why why does everyone not like this guy? That's right. This is the comment I was thinking about earlier mm-hmm. on. This is where it fits. First time I started going on mission trips, mm-hmm. um, international, we were doing some work with churches in Belarus, mm-hmm. uh, former Soviet Union, and they're buddies with, with Putin. Uh, Lukashenko is there, and so they've, they've got troops. I think there's tactical nukes now in Belarus. Good, and the whole good. Um, but one of the, the, there were, we had interpreters, very few common people spoke English at all. Mm-hmm. This is in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, nearly everyone who was in leadership in the church, or like, even in the early 2000s, um, if you were old enough to read and write, mm-hmm. you had been in the Soviet Union mm-hmm. for most of that time. They didn't know any English. Mm-hmm more educated, you know, higher up people did. We had interpreters. Our first rule was there's two things you take out of a sermon. <laughs> Jokes? <laughs> well, because there's no way to translate there's no a joke. context. Yeah. There's no context to build it with. Yep. Jokes? <laughs> and it, I know it was tough. We had to sit down and write everything. Well, and plus, you're, if you're doing a half-hour sermon, you got 13 minutes because you have to give the interpreter half the time. Oh, yeah. But then you got to give extra just for pauses. Mm-hmm. So no jokes. We spoke one sentence at a time mm-hmm. so that they could try to formulate it the best they could. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no um, cultural-based illustrations. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't do an illustration about pickleball. Sure. It goes nowhere. Yeah. They have no concept of what you're talking about. Don't bring up the Simpsons because no. they ain't going to get it. So all, <laughs> so all the things are like you go, you're three-fifths of a pastor, yeah. which, is a, which is a good one. But there's no, like, you, 
they mm-hmm. have no clue what you're talking about. Sure. And I do think you're right. Mm-hmm. There, I think there are hundreds, mm-hmm. maybe thousands of little tips and tricks and, and nudges and yeah. movements in the scriptures that are Jewish that mm-hmm. way that we just we just we don't even bunch. see. Absolutely. I'll tell you this, uh, good luck understanding a lot of the New Testament without knowing at least something about the Greek and the Roman culture. Mm-hmm. The churches Absolutely. that were started were starting in, were started in the main cities of the Roman Empire. Uh, lots of them were in Greece. What? Why did Jesus and Paul, when they're arrested, go through all of these different trials and all yeah. these going from place to place, yeah, and then back to the t- other yeah. guy? And, like this is when the whole time the Jews are the ones that want to kill him, and they don't seem to have a problem doing it. Two chapters later, in Acts with Timothy, so yeah, you know, um, or uh, who is you know, with, with, uh, with uh, Stephen? Stephen, yeah, yeah with yeah, Stephen. Yeah. So not understanding anything about the history, the culture, and the mannerisms, it's going to make it difficult for you to understand a lot of the scripture. And there's nothing wrong with getting into it. Every time, one frustration in my church, not not my frustration, a frustration of all of my people with me, is that whenever we start a new book, Everyone's like, oh, we're starting Amos. Okay, so we'll get to chapter one by what, like May? (laughs) Because I go over who is Amos, where is he, what's going on on the biblical timeline right now. Because if you don't understand these things, then we're going to miss so much. So we go over a whole bunch of history. We go back into uh first kings and second kings okay this is king david this Mm -hmm. is king solomon this is rehoboam david's grandson this is what happened in israel we have to go over all this information otherwise we're not going to understand what amos is talking about right because what was going on when he was alive was basically the civil war going on in america And when you think about that, life was really different for him than for anybody else living in the same country 100 years ago before all this nonsense was going on. Right, right, right. So even when you go, well, it's just the next minor prophet. Haven't we done enough of this historical context? And like, not really. Nope, we haven't. Yeah. And so two other things real quick. Mm -hmm. Jump in. Number one would be that might seem just as daunting to people. Yeah. Doing the historical contextual work, mm-hmm. I think, is far easier mm-hmm. than doing some of the trying to understand some of the biblical, some of the doctrinal uh, spiritual stuff. because oh, there's so much extra biblical history on all of this stuff. There is tons of information. There are things that disagree with each other, sure. of course. There's a lot of things that we don't know as well as we wish we did, mm-hmm. of course. It's it's ancient writings but you can get into the encyclopedia britannica and look up every city paul went to and what was going on what what was that city famous for yep oh if you just looked up that every chapter in the book of acts would make so much more sense he went to this town let's look up in the encyclopedia what was that city famous for oh that's what he's talking about so that is step number two, historical, contextual hermeneutics. Yes. 
get some information surrounding what you're talking about. It'll help make the book, the chapter, the passages of scripture easier to understand. Any issues with that? No. I, I'm I'm agreed there. But the other thing I I just would say is that mm-hmm. um that the the historical and contextual work to to get that information mm-hmm. that's one of those places where it's like well this source says this mm-hmm. about what year Amos was written and this source oh, says brother. this and it's like you know you don't have to get no. a hundred answers mm-hmm. all exactly right or else it won't make sense yeah if you get some of those basics under the way and i do think that the more and more you figure things out the more and more there's little there's little bits and pieces i think there's some really interesting stuff in jonah mm-hmm. that's like like yeah if you don't know much about the assyrians sure who their god is yeah you're gonna miss some stuff the, the construction of the city absolutely right you're gonna miss some things but it's not like you don't have to take a doctrinal level course on every single no. history book and to get yeah and honestly zach i have all but thrown in the towel when it comes to dates i am so yeah. sick of dates in the bible because you know what i found when it matters god's specific about the date there's a bunch of them that are so precise it's insane like, yeah yeah and then there's an a like you said when was amos written i don't know when was jonah written well all I can do is I can give you a window. Yes. Because with Amos, we know these kings were in power. Right. With Jonah, we know this king was in power, and this is what the Assyrians just finished doing, and it had to be after this, and it had to be before this. Okay, great. I, so for me, in those cases, I'm just going to say it. I don't care. And it bothers me because I'll write out timelines because I like timelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel comfortable with a good, accurate timeline. Yeah, and and the minor prophets are like... (laughs) And it's so frustrating. (laughs) So I'll tell people that all the time when I'm writing the dates down. It's like, look, I think this is it. It's pretty close, but don't hang your hat on that part. That's just... All I can do is is get you close because God as far as i can tell didn't get us any closer than a window but it, i think it's because it doesn't matter yeah. yeah all right number three typological and prophetic god uses types in the bible so i'm going to give you types of christ in the old testament to mm-hmm. give everyone an example i'm going to give you three jump in wherever you like i'll try to get through these quickly noah's ark as the ark protected noah and his family from the flood jesus protects us from judgment he is the door of the sheep and once we enter in him or through him we will be saved from the wrath of god and receive life john chapter 10 verse 9 talks about that the brazen serpent in the wilderness that's in the book of numbers Mm -hmm. those who are doomed to die from the venom of the serpents which represents sin which brings death to our flesh they only need to look upon the serpent lifted up in the wilderness to be saved faith and grace are easy and require no work on our part the serpent was made of brass and brass withstands fire fire is representative of god's judgment so these things are a type and and a lot of them like the brazen serpent jesus literally explains yes and says in john chapter three that brazen serpent was me okay that's what it meant right 
I know right. it's taken thousands of years to give you the answer of where wow. this brazen serpent came he from. He does not seem to be in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's fine if if centuries of people have no idea what he's talking about. Yes. He's like, yes. believe me, <laughs> when it lands. <laughs> you just watch. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay, manna from heaven. Jesus also likened himself to manna and declared that he was the true bread that came from heaven. That's in John 6. Mm-hmm. And he is infinitely higher than his type, which was the physical bread that would feed us. Yes. Unlike manna, which could only satisfy the Israelites' physical needs temporarily, Jesus is the bread of life that will meet our spiritual needs eternally. Again, John chapter 36. Yep. Any problems with types? None at all. The only thing I wanted to add is just sort of a, a reiterating what we talked about previously, mm-hmm. which is... Um, there, there are two ways, two sort of basic ways under this framework to see those stories. Mm-hmm. The way that you and I, like, I think that Moses really made a brazen serpent. Absolutely. He really Put it on a pole. It. Yep. yep. He really held it up. If people actually looked at it, mm-hmm. they didn't die from the bite. You got it. I agree. 100%. But all of that was a shadow mm-hmm. of Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Yes. So even though it literally happened... It is also allegorical. We are supposed to get a deeper meaning. It is supposed to represent something else. And once the once the type is fulfilled, Mm -hmm. like if if you have the two choices, do you look at the cross with Jesus on it, or do you look at the stick with the brazen serpent on it? Mm -hmm. You pick the cross. Yeah, but that doesn't make the story any less real. Absolutely right. Okay, then we have prophetic interpretation. Prophetic, not pathetic. <clears throat> prophetic. <laughs> this is the one that most people are the most uncomfortable with because we are trying to figure out futuristic events. The the types that have been fulfilled. Those are easy. Sure. I, I'm a hundred percent sure I know exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. how I, they are fulfilled. I feel pretty good about those. But we are and you and I are you're you and I are together on this. Mm-hmm. I am sh- totally sure mm-hmm. that there are types that are hidden all over the Bible that I just have, not only do I not know, mm-hmm. I've never even considered the possibility sure. that they are even types. And I'll, let me do this one first and mm-hmm. then you can circle yeah, yeah, it jump because these are a little bit different topics. I want to make sure you get, you get your prophecy part in because i think you've got a really interesting point here um there's a there's one that paul does first corinthians 9 9 through 12 every time i read this it still throws me for a loop let me hear it for it is written in the law of moses you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain Mm -hmm. is it for oxen that god is concerned does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in the hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, among you, is it too much if we reap material things among you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And I remember reading that and going, no matter how allegorically 
you take the scriptures. I, I don't know how, I've never heard anyone else say, oh, you shall muzzle the ox and tread out its grain. Oh, yeah, I get it. That means you should support missionaries. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I don't know, <laughs> but because he explained it in the scriptures. Sure. You, now, should they have muzzled the ox? What? No. Mm-hmm. And that was a law of Moses. Yes. But we didn't quite understand why that was applicable to anyone's life. Right. Until we get to the New Testament and we see that, guess what? The people that make their livelihood doing the work of God, they need to be supported by those who are not. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I read that one and I go, that is a type mm-hmm. that Paul saw that I would have never come to. I never would have come to that. Never. Mm-hmm. But it's there. And so I am sure that there are more things like that sort of. And when God decides that he's it's time, it's to, show time us. to show it, he's going to show it. Mm-hmm. So that that's just a little side note there. But get, do, your, do your prophetic. Because that's, I don't know if that one's as prophetic as it is just regular type. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't make, it doesn't make the original any less real. Absolutely. Really happened. But there's, there is a meaning there that comes out during the course of the Holy Spirit working through the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what prophecy does. I agree. Let me see. No, we're going to leave that. As far as prophetic interpretation goes, a lot of people feel uncomfortable with doing this. I do not. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and here's the reason. The book of Revelation, where greater than 70, 80, 90% of it is prophetic we are actually commanded by God to study that book. And in doing so, we will receive a special blessing. Yes. God put prophecy in the Bible for a reason. And he put a lot of it in there. Yes. So for me, I think we should be encouraged to study eschatology, the study of the end of the world. I don't think there's a problem with trying to figure it out because it doesn't matter if I get it wrong. I don't change the course of history. Correct. No incorrect doctrine can change the outcome of how God's going to unfold it. Correct. And you don't have to pass the doctrinal or eschatology test to be saved either. Correct. Yeah. The one point that I do want to make is that there is a difference between the Hebrew and the Greek version of prophecy, and that is that the Greek idea of prophecy is prediction and fulfillment. God Mm. makes a prediction. The prediction comes true. The prediction was made here. The fulfillment was made here on the timeline. The Hebrew model of prophecy is pattern, and by that I mean things happen again and again and again. So when hmm. the, the when the Jews see a pattern throughout history, 
that is what they consider prophetic. So oh. they will look at that pattern and they will, when it shows up again, they will say, this is God. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that <clears throat> we sometimes miss. We miss things that are prophecy from God because we want someone to say at this time this thing will happen right rather than just seeing Abraham on Mount Moriah and then Messiah going to the cross that's prophetic sure sure because it was the same it was literally the same mountain right <laughs> well but so that's how you get to the types correct right Jesus on the Passover mm-hmm like I mean, we know that Paul puts it together. We know that the early believers put it together. But Absolutely. Right, right. So mm, that's interesting. When you see, my point is that you will see it happen again and again and again. It wasn't just Moses and the Passover. It was the firstborn male of the lamb, Isaac, mm -hmm. was the yep, yep. Um, Moses's only son. Did you know, Zach, and I, I, I pointed this out in church last night, Isaac is called Moses's only son. Or yes. sorry, no, no, no. Isaac is called Abraham's, Abraham's only son. Only son, yes. Is Isaac Abraham's only son? Well, that depends. <laughs> that depends how you interpret the text. Yeah. No, so, yeah. According to God, he is. That's so, his only because yeah. God calls him Ishmael. his only son, even though Abraham had other children at the time. Yes, and then he has more children with his. Uh, I don't want to say third wife, but certainly second after Sarah dies, he marries Keturah and has many more children. But God continues to call Isaac his only son because prophetically, Isaac was a representation of he was a type of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Any problems patterns. with that's, prophetic no, and that, typological the 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 patterns thing i'm going to chew on a little bit that's mm -hmm. it I, I had not heard that before mm -hmm. that's that's some that's some good insight okay number four is what you're going to want to avoid avoid anecdotal interpretations anecdotal interpretations are not necessarily true or reliable because they are based on personal accounts and feelings rather than facts or research I believe this is far and away the most popular form of interpretation for the average American Christian. We read the Bible, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, exegesis versus eisegesis. The average American Christian reads the Bible. They think about how they feel about the portion of Scripture and their personal experience. Yeah. And based on those things they agree with or disagree with what the bible says zach i have had christians tell me and i'm talking about solid christians where they have turned a corner on divorce they have turned a corner on homosexuality and it's all been because of their personal feelings there was one senator who was a solid um Christian, sexual morality, homosexuality is wrong, 
Uh, it is not okay. It is not acceptable. It's a sin against God. It's a perversion of nature. It's a lifestyle that is bad for anyone that takes part of it. There are curses that come when you do it. I mean, solid guy. You want to know what happened? His son came out of the closet. Guess where his views shifted to? Yeah, like it's tough. You got it. All of a sudden, made a 180. So the only thing that I learned about that guy is that he's a joke because his views, his principles, his beliefs, they came down to personal experience. Yeah. And when personal experience was inconvenient, well, all of a sudden now there's nothing wrong with it and we got to figure out a way to make it work. Is this one of those like, uh, I need an answer to the question, so I'm going to ask the question and then turn on the radio sure, and see what, uh, yeah, what's, what song is playing and um, yeah. That court of, that sort of thing. Christians use their personal experiences to argue the plain teaching of the Bible time and, and again. I, I think that might be the that might be the main point there. The we can't live without having personal experiences. Sure. Yeah, it's not the, like the the experience is bad. Mm -hmm. It's using the experience to interpret the text rather than the text to interpret the experience. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the primary issue there. Yeah, I don't think I have a problem with that. I've even seen pastors do this too. When they're trying to get around a principle in the Bible, they will use a personal story as support when justifying disobedience. Mm. It is easy to do because how we feel is very strong. Yes. And what we want to do is we want to start off with what does the Bible say? Because really we're asking the question, well, what does God say? What does God say? Yeah. And if God is against something again and again and again, there is no experience that I can have that will make whatever God is against acceptable. Sin is sin. No matter, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Number five. We. Oh, the, yeah. You want to jump in on no the, four? This Go ahead. Five. No. Five. Five is one we talked about a little bit last time. I remember. So we want to avoid outliers, and by that I mean you never want to die on the hill of the one verse that contradicts many clear verses. You don't want to build a doctrine out of that one verse yeah. because the odds are we're missing something. Right. Right. Which that's actually. This will probably be a good time to. I've got. I've got an, an addendum. Ooh, big yeah. word. Yeah, I got five dollar word. Yeah, I got an addendum here for you. Um, that I, I think my issue with this one last time around was just the the word avoid. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what all we talked about, but I, because I think there's, I, I think there's is something that God is trying to teach us. I'm in not those saying dismiss. Right, right, and so I think. This is the same conversation we had, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, you're not saying dismiss it. No, you're we're not, not saying, saying oh, that, that would get the white out yeah, in yeah, your yeah. hand and get rid of the verse on the Bible. Yeah, just just pull that page out mm -hmm. of there. That one doesn't count. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do think that those are, and this might be a little bit personal for me, but I, I see those almost as um, not like a not a stoplight, but 
that is something that God is trying to teach me something about. Mm-hmm. Like I got 15 verses that all say this, and then you drop this one in there and you go, uh, that, that verse in first Peter three, where it says that baptism saves you. Sure. And I go, or the one in Mark 16. But at the end of it. Yeah. With, yeah. With the, the snakes. And yeah, the, yeah. 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 Yep. And you go, hold wait a minute. on, wait a minute. I, I, there's don't build a doctrine out of that verse. Correct. True. I, I'm totally with you there. But those are the ones that I jot on the paper. Yeah. And I we go, need to figure this out. I want to swing back to see what in the world. And, and this is this is my my little addendum. That, I mean, and this is me. Mm-hmm. Um, I my 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 belief about who God is in comparison to who I am mm-hmm. leads me to a hermeneutic of humility in some sense. I think there are things, I think the Bible is immeasurably deep. I think that everything that God explains to us that we can get mm-hmm. is basically a miracle. Yeah. Um, there are mysteries, there are paradoxes, there's tensions all over the place. And so when I'm, when I'm having a difficulty with something, it, it causes me to pause for a moment, to step back and to really examine do I have a feeling about this that's clouding my judgment about do I not know about enough about what this author is saying to these this group of people that's making me not see this right mm-hmm. this this is where I read I'll read something in multiple translations mm-hmm. like I'll get 10 of them out mm-hmm. is this just something weird about the the translation mm-hmm. that I'm using right now um because I, I think there's something about those verses that, that's showing us. And oftentimes, I think it's actually the same picture, but from a different perspective. Sure. And and when God finally illuminates that for me, then I go, oh. Yeah. I see. It makes just, sense Yeah, now. just like you were saying before. Sure. But it's yeah, one you, of those things you want to you wanna pray about. You want to ask God to show you how this works. I'm just saying when you find one outlier that seems to contradict a mountain of very clear teaching in one direction, and this outlier takes you off into another direction, you can't dismiss the mountain of scripture and stand on this one verse alone. That's where cults form in the weeds. The cults never form around john three sixteen, <laughs> yeah, or john yeah. 14 6 you never have cults form around i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me you want to know why cults don't form around that because that verse is the foundation of what we call christianity <laughs> right. <laughs> right right cults aren't going to form around that they always form around these obscure verses where it's like Boy, I got to look that up. I don't even remember. If you're God's son Mm -hmm. and he's the father, then there needs to be a mother. (laughs) Let me see if I can find some little Uh, place, you know. But you're right. You're right. That's the, yeah. So just don't panic when you run into one verse that seems to be a problem. Whole books have been written by scoffers and skeptics trying to write off the Bible because this verse doesn't seem to line up and therefore God's not real and the Bible contradicts itself. Flush the whole thing. And it's really just nonsense. You know, don't panic. Just uh, go to God. 
pray about it, give it some time, but don't build a doctrine and start a church based on one weird or crazy idea. Yeah. All right. The last one, and we talked about this, the Bible doesn't work without dispensationalism. This is my last rule for trying to interpret the Bible. And you and I mentioned this briefly. So to give everyone an idea, dispensational theology organizes history and theology around a series of dispensations, which are each different relationships and arrangements decreed by God. And you have to understand that God did this, and he's usually very clear when he does this. There are dispensational time periods, people groups, and institutions. For example, the New Testament church versus the nation of Israel, Jews versus Gentiles, Old Covenant versus New Covenant. God gave a diet specific in the Garden of Eden. He gave a diet that was different post-flood in Genesis chapter 9. To Noah, he gave a diet that was different to Moses on Mount Sinai at the first Pentecost. He gave a diet in the New Covenant in the book of Acts. They were all different. There's reasons for it. Yes. God is not arbitrarily coming up with stuff, but you have to see that God dealt with different people in different circumstances differently, and that's okay to give everyone an example. When Noah got off the boat, Mm -hmm. well, I should start back a step or two. In the Garden of Eden, everyone was vegetarian. The people were vegetarian. The animals were vegetarian. No one was supposed to be eating meat. When Noah got off the boat, the earth had been underwater for almost a calendar year. Yeah. Well, there weren't a bunch of fruit trees that you could (laughs) pick peaches off of. So God changes the diet and says, you are now allowed to hunt. You can kill animals. You can eat them. I'm going to put the fear of God into the animals so they have a sporting chance. And Noah has a new diet, which they are allowed to live by. And if you know anything about the history in the Bible and the science and the I don't want to say climatology because I just don't like that word. (laughs) You find out that after the flood, Noah moved into a period of time, which we look at in geology as the great ice age. Things were very different for a period of time. God changed the diet because it needed to be done. He changed it again for the law of Moses because Mm -hmm. he wanted his people to be separate and he wanted them to be healthy. So he gave them the most perfect diet you can have on earth. These are dispensations. God dealt with these people uh, differently. And the dispensations, as I said, they're broken down into time periods, into people groups, and into institutions. If you don't understand that, you're going to have trouble when you read through the New Testament. Jesus Paul, Luke, they all talk differently to Jews and to Gentiles because there is a different origin, mission, and destiny for the church and for the nation of Israel. There is God's chosen people, and then there is the church, the bride of Christ. But these are different groups. And they have a different origin, mission, and destiny. So God talks to these people differently. At other times, he lumps everybody in 
as believers, as the bride of Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. If you are born again by the blood of the lamb, right? then you fall into this group and you better listen up because yeah, this is yeah. what I expect yeah, of you. Yeah, because there's like this new weird family. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. Okay, the, this is the bride of Christ. But you have to just understand dispensations are not a bad thing. It's okay. And if you read portions of the scripture and you get confused, you read through the book of Hebrews, all of a sudden, if you don't understand, I mean, the title of the book made it pretty clear who it was written to, (laughs) but still people are like, how, what is Paul talking about here? And we we're assuming that the author was Paul. We're saying what in on earth is Paul talking about? And if we, you don't understand that he's not talking to the Gentiles, that he's talking to the Jews, you are going to struggle with the book of Hebrews and how it fits in right after Galatians and Ephesians. Yeah. Yeah. Any problem with dispensationalism and that idea? The only problem I have with dispensationalism is I can't see clearly which one's next. Yeah. You and I, you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. I'm not going to argue. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I yeah. you know that what, wherever, whenever I take a stance, it is a strong stance, and it's yes. because I, ha- I have reasons for it. I don't yes. just come up with beliefs on stuff. There's some stuff where I'll tell you, man, I really don't know. Tell right, you you got to right. ask someone else. Right. But the things that I'm interested in, I study them and. And I pick a side, uh, albeit sometimes that side is wrong. And many years later, I have to, you know, make a correction that that happened once back in the 70s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a joke. I was, was yeah. going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have no problem taking a, a stance. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah, that was, you know, from my side is just. That's my own little idiosyncrasy. But yeah, I don't have a problem with the dispensational. Now, it is uncomfortable sometimes for people. Sure. Like, what's can I eat bacon? Mm-hmm. And it's like... You well, want my answer? Well, if it's... If God didn't... If it was going to be okay, mm-hmm. then why did he write that it wasn't? Mm-hmm. And like, well, who's he writing to? What yeah. was he writing? And what said, what were the rules then? Did any of them change? Mm-hmm. Well, but, but God's always the same. Well, yes. God being the same does not mean necessarily that the things that he asks us to do mm-hmm. are the same. Sure. I always tell people, look, God told Moses on Mount Sinai not to eat bacon because bacon is not healthy for you. It's not sure. good for you. So God wanted his people to be separate from the rest of the world, and he wanted them to be healthy. Bacon didn't become healthy in the book of Acts. No. <laughs> no. It's no. still not good get, for you. I need to get my cholesterol checked. Today. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't change. Mm-mm. Okay. <clears throat> and, and I tell people that with every law that God gave Moses— Every one of those laws, when he says, do this, it's because this thing is good for you and God loves you. And when he says, don't do this thing, it's because it's bad for you and he loves you. Divorce was never supposed to be okay. Right. And God explains that from the beginning of time. It wasn't so correct. This was not the plan. This is not 
how it is supposed to work. God explains that very clearly. God says, because you guys messed this whole thing up, I made a provision and it's for the sake of the woman so that she can be protected because you guys screwed up marriage. Yeah. So now I had to come around and, you know, make, give you give you this idea. But he even goes so far as to explain it was never meant to be this way. Yeah. So God responds to people in the way that they act, their behavior. God did the same thing when he had a plan to uh, take the southern kingdom and uh, give it over to the Babylonians to be captive and to be taken away. One man, King Josiah, yes. stood up and yes. obeyed God. And God said, okay, the whole country gets past. It's still going to happen, but not while you're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're okay. not going to have to see it. You are not going to have to see it. So God changed something, and it was based on the behavior of uh, man. But in the same way, just because God made a provision for divorce is anyone going to stand here and say that sure, divorce sure, is sure. good for you? Okay. Divorce is not filled with vitamin C. Okay. There's nothing, <laughs> nobody that's been through divorce. Nobody that has a friend who has gone through divorce. Nobody is going to say, Oh yeah, divorces are just, uh, they're great for everybody yeah. other than divorce attorneys. I don't know who divorce is good for. So in the same way, everything God tells us to stay away from, there's a reason for it. And even though things are permissible, it doesn't mean they are beneficial. beneficial. Boy, Absolutely. that almost sounds like a Bible verse. Oh, somebody should have put it in there. Someone that. should have written that down somewhere. Okay, Zach, we are a minute and a half away from an hour and a half. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to no, throw in here? I, uh, I, I like that one. Um I guess maybe the other, I know we've talked about this a couple of times, mm -hmm. but I do find it helpful to give myself time and room to struggle with something for a while. Yeah. We, we've talked about that and mm -hmm. you, you talked about what, you know, what God showed you and it was years later. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that you don't get it. It doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean that. When you're, especially if you're fighting for something, like there's something you're really trying to figure out and you study and study and study and you're still kind of like, ah, oh, man, I just, um, give yourself the freedom to have some time and to let God do the work in you. So here's one that I was thinking about. Give it to me. When they're going, when the Israelites are going into the promised land and, and God says, which time I will go with, this is with Joshua. Okay. I will go before, before you. you. Mm-hmm. I will fight the battle for you. Mm -hmm. It still takes time to it go. Do it. They still have to put in work. They still have to get their swords out. This, right. Right. And I, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the crucifixion that taking care of our sin, mm -hmm. he fought the battle for us. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I don't have a little bit of something to do. Absolutely. Along the way also. Absolutely. But, he won the victory. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same with trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. He will give us answers. He really and truly will. Sometimes it's not. You can't just go, okay, here's the problem. Father, will you give me an answer? Yeah. And like, you, you're just, you didn't have to go to work. Absolutely. <laughs> like you, you might not come in that particular minute, mm -hmm. but perseverance, keeping after it. 
consistency. We, we, we have committed to a lifestyle, committed to an entire life of following him with eternity afterwards. Yeah. We've got some time. Mm-hmm. Let him be the one to show things to you. And then the other thing is just to be humble enough to submit when he does. Yeah, that's really the trick. Uh, out of everything that we talked about, that's the best point. When you learn something in the Bible and God is clearly showing it to you, are you willing to make a change or are you going to, when God tells you to go in this direction, are you going to say no? Have you ever heard about the different ways there are to say no? Uh-uh. No. So one of the ways to say no is to just emphatically look someone in the eye and say no. No, sure. Another way to say no is one that we've all experienced with our children, which is to pretend that we didn't hear it <laughs> yeah. and hope that no one pushes the point any further. And it's a form of defiance and disobedience, but we're not actually overtly saying no. Yeah, yeah. And that is one of the things as a Christian, we read our Bible, it's clear what God is saying, and I'm just going to pretend that I didn't hear it. The thing we need to learn, the lesson that God has for us many times in the Bible, is that when he tells us something, we are going to submit. Sooner or later, the longer we wait, the harder it is. Sometimes we have to get swallowed by a whale in order to do God's will. But believe me, God has had to hold me down and hold my mouth open and force my vegetables into my mouth and chew them up for me, you know, like as a little kid or something in a, yeah, in a high yeah. chair. Sure. There've been times when God has tried to lead me gently. And then when that wouldn't work, he would get behind me and he would kind of nudge and poke and prod. And then he'd get out the whip. And sooner or later, he will flat out club me over the head, knock me out, grab me by the hair. In my, in my case, it's a beard. <laughs> and drag me, kicking and screaming, if he must, to the place where he wants me. Yes. And I'll tell you, it is so much easier to just submit when God is showing you something than to have to get to that position and it's a shame that so many christians are living their life under the curses of god they are missing out on the blessings of god because even when god speaks to them clearly they pretend it's not god's voice or they ignore god like an impetulant child hoping that god will just okay kind of give up and not care about whatever task he gave them and we need to stop saying no in any of those ways and we just need to live a life where we just say yes to god whenever he speaks you know boy if only we could yep here here am i send me you got it Mm -hmm. yeah you you can either you can choose you can humble yourself Mm -hmm. or you can let him humble you yeah it's gonna happen it is (laughs) one's a lot less painful one's actually pleasurable and, and and hopefully before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, everybody. Good. I appreciate you tuning in. You can catch us here on the Bible Thumper podcast every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 8 p.m. Central. If you just get on Google and type in Bible Thumper podcast, you'll find a YouTube channel and a Facebook page. 
You can watch the videos live. You can comment. You can ask questions. And then you can download this podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcast. And if you would, do us a favor. Like the podcast. Share the podcast. Download the podcast. uh, Tell a friend about it. Uh, It'll help get this podcast in front of other people. And uh, we'll be back next week, and it's going to be my wife, Joanna, again. I don't remember exactly what we're going to be talking about, but uh, she is going to end up being a regular guest host on the podcast, and my wife and I are going to focus most of our talks on uh, raising a Christian family and having a Christian home. So it's going to be a mom and a dad talking about kids and How such about like that? that. Yeah, so that'll be new. It's fun. Uh, we did it last week. We uh, got a couple of subjects as far as what we want to talk about. So <clears throat> it's. Uh, I think it's a good idea, and I think it's a podcast that not enough. I don't see anyone doing it talking about hey this is what a christian family looks like this is what you should do this is what you shouldn't do this is what you want to be aware of this is what the bible says is what you want to stay away from uh if you are struggling with this guess what you're not alone uh you know just kind of jumping in and talking about the nitty-gritty fast and dirty yeah you know all the stuff so that's what we're going to be going over very cool so thank you everyone for joining us uh we will catch you next sunday have a good week